Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and I am really excited about today. See, on this podcast, we talk about adventure in hopes of inspiring and encouraging others to listen to their own voice that calls to adventure, follow their dreams, and get outside. Talk is one way to inspire people. A better way is to actually get outside and bring those you want to inspire along with you. And that's exactly what today's guest did when he took a group of seven Boy Scouts from Carborough's Troop 845 on a cross-country bikepacking trip from Wilmington, North Carolina to Florence, Oregon. This was a 66-day journey through 11 states and over 4,000 miles. It was a trip packed full of adventure, unexpected challenge, and a whole lot of growth. I have with me today, Ed Billings, a realtor from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He's been a realtor there for 20 years. And as an adult, he has rekindled his love for cycling and adventure by participating in numerous adventure cycling trips, including a 2003 trip to the Tour de France. As a Boy Scout leader, he has led numerous outdoor adventures, including cycling the entire Blue Ridge Parkway hiking Maine's 100-mile wilderness section of the Appalachian Trail, and leading Bike Loud on this epic cross-country bike trip. Of course, he's always dreaming about the next adventure, but today he's here to tell us about the story of Troop 845's journey on their bikes. Ed, welcome to the campfire. Hey, I, I'm so excited to be here. I've got tingles. Like I feel like I'm dipping that wheel and going out again. This is so awesome. Thank you, Scott, for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for the inspiration. This is such a cool trip. You know, so many people take these individual adventures, but, you know, this was, I'm sure, personally fulfilling for you, but also you got to bring seven boys with you as well. And I'm sure this was just such a life-changing experience for them too. Yeah. So Ed, before we get started, just give us a little bit of background real quick on Ed Billings, who you are, where you're from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, uh, you know, Ed Billings live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm a realtor here. been doing that for 20 years. Uh, grew up in California. And uh, I think it's when we were chatting, I loved my Schwinn uh, Stingray bike growing up. I rode nice. that thing all over the place, you know, completely disassembled it in the backyard, you know, my, much to my mom's chagrin. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, life, life kind of gets going and I walked away from cycling and doing other things. Um, and then rediscovered it uh, when um, I got married. When my wife and I got married, she gave me a bike as our wedding gift. She was the cyclist in the in the family. Nice. And that's I think sometimes she wonders, yeah, man, that was a mistake. <laughs> 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 but that's really what kind of kicked it off. Um, so uh, you know, love what I do. I've been really involved in the community and and doing a lot of different things, um, including you mentioned. Uh, being involved with Troop 845 and a long journey there. 
So. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, so we're going to dive into all of this and find out about the inspirations, and we're going to go back and and, and dig into to that uh, or those early days of you getting involved in cycling. But it's like for the listeners, let's just do a quick recap of of this trip itself. Um, where'd you go? What'd you do? So um, actually, we we started in Florence, Oregon. So we went the other way. We went gotcha. west west to east. Gotcha. Um, and we took uh, seven Boy Scouts uh, that were on average 16 years old. We had one turn 17 on the trip and one turn 15 on the trip. So we had seven Scouts um, and we had two leaders that supported them uh, on this trip. I was the only one that went the whole way. And then we had, uh, we rotated every two weeks, another leader, cause you had to have two deep leadership, which is really important. Gotcha. And so, um, these trips were, are self-supported. So there's no SAG vehicle with you. You carry everything with you that you're going to need for the trip. So we did what's called the Trans-America Trail, which uh, was the original cycling route uh, that was established in 1976 for the Bicentennial. So it's the classic route. It starts in Oregon. Um, it goes across Oregon, you go across the Cascades, then you uh, drop down onto the dry side of Oregon, rolled into through Idaho, through Hell's Canyon, which is where the Snake River is. And we did a long pull uh, from there into Montana, uh, up the Lolo Pass, which is the Nez Perce Indians area where Lewis and Clark, you know, kind of discovered how to, how to get across. Pulled into Missoula, made a right-hand turn there, uh, worked our way down the Bitterroot Valley, um, then, uh, continued on into Wyoming, uh, from Wyoming to Colorado. Then you kind of zigzag across the Rockies. Um, you're living a couple weeks at over 10,000 feet. Basically you, you, yeah. just, you know, go up and down and, and through that came into Breckenridge where you peaked at Hoosier pass, which is about, I think 11,500 feet, maybe 12,000. I have to go back and look, but that was the high point. And then you do a long drop down into Pueblo. Colorado. Then you hit the plains. Um, so from there you go to Kansas and then, uh, Missouri, uh, which we can talk about Missouri. Missouri is like sawtoothy or really, really difficult area. Really? Uh, for, oh yeah. It's tough. Um, I'm thinking once you get out of the Rockies, it's flat. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> really, really hard. We'll talk about that from Missouri. Then you cross the Mississippi, uh, and you do a little bit of Illinois and then you're into Kentucky. Kentucky to Virginia. And then we dropped down to Riceville. That was the trip. Wow. Wow. 66 60, days. 66 days. Yep. Average 70 miles a day yeah. because you have Man. to take some zero days when you, when you program these, you reprogram in your rest and, and time for like when things go wrong, which happens all the yeah. time. Yeah. So. Man, all right. So I want to I want to get into some of the details and the highlights. Like, but how how does this how does a trip like this happen? It it comes from the boys. It really does. So Troop Eight Forty Five. We have a long we have a long history of being um, the United States premier high adventure Boy Scout troop. That's our mm -hmm. that was our moniker and brand. And so we've done a number of trips over the years, including the the capstone trip is is the bike trip. Um, it's the legendary one. It's the longest and and and. We've, we, we do a lot of high adventure stuff. And so the boys really drive it. They kind of set the vision on where they want to go. And then we help with the planning and do all that. So this trip, we, you know, we had, we had done a number of 
cross-country trips. There was a particular leader that led that, that, that had the time to do it in youth. And um, this trip was going to be a big one. Uh, there were originally at the original interest meeting, there were, I think, 16 scouts that were interested, okay. which was quite frankly, too many. Um, but there was a big group that wanted to do it. And it, it's it's funny because at that meeting, uh, one of the parents said, hey, are you going to go along? And I'm like, I'm not going on this. Thing. There's no <laughs> way I'm, I'm not going. This, you know, this was my son's big trip. And I said, you yeah. know, Ulysses' dad didn't go with him when he headed out, right? It's like, <laughs> this is his moment, not mine yeah. uh, for adventure. Well, we had a, um, a tragedy happen, essentially, where that, that young leader turned out um, that he was uh, consuming child pornography. Mm. And that, that thing that is that, that um, issue that hangs out there in so many um, youth-oriented programs yeah. fell on us. And it was really difficult. Uh, there yeah. was a huge sense of betrayal. You know, it's your biggest fear as a parent, you know, that, right. and, and so fortunately there was nothing involved with any of the boys or anything like that, but boom, yeah. he's gone, you know, being prosecuted. And it sent a shockwave through the troop, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. so there was the initial meeting where everybody's coming together to try and process this and emotions are running high. And, um, somebody said, well, what's going to happen to the bike trip? And I could see the look in all the, you know, faces, like what's going to happen to this thing. And I stood up and said, I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'll tell you one thing, there will be a bike trip. <laughs> Ed stands up and make, and, and puts the stake in the ground. Here we go. Put the stake in the ground, right? <laughs> so, so boom, I put the stake in the ground. Um, and so we met with the boys that were interested and we said, what's okay. You know, we don't have one adult that can go the whole way and we've got to do too deep, deep leadership and boy scouts of America's look, you know, is really going to be on top of yeah. all this. We need to be making sure everything's done correctly for, for all the correct reasons. Right. What are, what are your non-starters? And they said, it has to be self-supported. There cannot be a sag wagon bailing us out. And we were like, you know, if we had cars, it'd be a lot easier, right? Yeah. Now, uh, is that just sort of a fundamental philosophy? What's the rationale behind that? Well, there's two schools of camp. You'll 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 hear folks that do these things, and then they've got the SAG support, um, and then there's people that go out self-supported. I will tell you this: self-supported is the only way to go. They were right. The boys were right, and the adults were wrong. Cause we were like, Hey, we can do this. They're like, no, no, no. And they said, we would never be able to look the other scouts who've done this before in the eye and say that we had car support. We're doing yeah. it on our own. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So we, so we're thinking like, how are we going to do this? Well, um, there was an adult leader who is an attorney in town and he said, Hey, I'll go all the way. He said, I'll, I'll lead this thing. And he says, I need a break. I need to, you know, evaluate some things so he says i'm willing to go all the way and this was all happening like november december time frame of 2014 and when so, the trip is supposed to start when june of 2015 okay so we got a lot of runway but we were getting ready to take a trip out for a family trip for the holidays 
And right before we go, I get a package in the mail and it's the map set from Adventure Cycling for the Trans-America Trail. It just arrived. I didn't even request it. And um, I'm looking and I call Dean. I'm like, Dean, did you send me this? He's like, yeah, man, I sent you it. It's like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So we go on vacation and we're hanging out by the pool and I'm pulling the maps out and I start looking through them and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, how can we piece this together where one leader goes the whole way and then every two weeks we fly in a rotation leader and, and, and how can we piece this together? So start piecing it together. I start a spreadsheet and I put together a 66 day route and I called it the pro forma because it's not going to withstand. It's like, it's a general outline of how yeah. you could do it in 66 days with enough rest days built in. Yeah. And so I start recruiting my buddies, my cycling buddies. So we had, and, and adult leaders or, or parents within the troop. So we had a couple of parents within the troop. And then I had some cycling friends who did not have boys in the troop, but um, I knew would be able to do it and had the sense of adventure. And so I put, we put together this team and I was, and I was going to be one of the support riders. I was going to go yep. from the Miss, Mississippi river home. I was going to take a, about a three week section. Okay. So this is all coming together and we've, we pitched it to the boys and of that original group, seven committed seven of the original 16 or so said, we will do this. The other thing we said is we have to do it for a charity. Okay. We cannot do this. We are going through a very, very rural areas and it has to be about, it needs to be about something bigger than us. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to pick a charity and we can get into that in a minute, but, but that was, that was, they said it has to be self-supported. And I said, we have to do it for a charity plans coming together. We're doing our training. Um, you know, we knew what our obstacles were and we're training around that and doing our prep and getting the gear laid out. I was able to get great deals on the right bikes. I mean, we really got into the details of it and we laid it all out we had this perfect plan. And about March, I told my wife, I said, Lynn, I said, this is a great plan if everything goes correctly and without, (laughs) and like nothing goes wrong with one of the leaders. But I said, something's going to go wrong. (laughs) Of course. You know, right? Hey, everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Because we had no slack. If we lose a leader, then you have to have two, right? You can't yeah. go with one. You have to have yeah. two. You have to have two deep leadership for all the obvious reasons. And um, I said, something's going to go wrong. And I said, besides, and I said, this is my plan I put together and, de- you know, you got the other leader leading it, but. I, I just think we need to, I need to be there for backup. And she said, 
okay. You, you know, if that's what you feel you need to do. So I spoke, I talked to my son and I said, Sam, what do you think about this? And I could, and, and I could tell he's like, really didn't want his old man going along with them. Yeah. And I said, all right in the back, you know, I might disappear for a day or two. And, and, and part of this was like, I was a little burned out on real estate at that time. And yeah. kind of like, you know, you know how that goes. It's like, you yeah. kind of reach some of these points where it's like, yeah, I was kind of trying to figure some things out. So I'm like, yeah, a good 10 week sabbatical would be nice. And I yeah. maybe get some answers. So he bought into it. We shipped all the bikes out West. Everything's set. I was with one of the other adults who was sending his son. And I said, man, we were at lunch. I said, man, we got the wind at our back. We are ready to go. We've done all our training. Literally, I'm walking away from lunch on this. We're 10 days out. Mm -hmm. And Dean, the, the leader who was going to lead the whole thing, calls me. He said, Ed, Beth, his wife, he goes, she's got a brain tumor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I, his voice was shaking, obviously. He's like, I'm headed to the hospital now. I'm like, oh, Dean, no. And so she had a you know terminal brain tumor and he couldn't go wow. to lead the whole thing. Yeah. So now we are dealing with that tragedy and I'm realizing I'm in charge. This is the guy that put the stake in the ground six months earlier and said, this thing's happening. This thing's happening. And so now I go from heck no, I'm not going. There will be a trip. I'll ride in the back. Now I'm the leader. I didn't sleep a <laughs> wink that night. Uh, but then I, I embraced it. And um, it's a tragic, tragic thing that the reason why it happened, you know, a couple tragedies, but yeah. It was the best, you know, it was just for me, the best personal experience I ever could have asked for. Yeah, I, I, I think we need to stop here for a second and just um, I want to reflect kind of on the adversity. I mean, I'm sure there's things on the trip that we can get into and talk about, but I don't know what's striking me right now is, you know, you had several things that, that came up that could have derailed this thing you're the one that stood up, put the stake in the ground and said, no, this trip is happening and continued to take that position. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what were you, what were you feeling and what was going through your mind in all of those moments of adversity? Well, resiliency. And I think, I mean, when, at the end of the day, what this trip was about was two things, resiliency and people. But you know, we had great leaders. We had great people. We had a great team that wasn't going to take no for an answer. Um, you know, there were a lot of hurdles. This trip never, I mean, there were so many hurdles thrown in the way of it for it to even get off the ground. Part of the issue here too, is like, I was taking a three week chunk, right? Yeah. So that means I got a three week gap with, with no leader. Well, with yeah. only one, right? right? So we're leaving now that's going to hit us around week seven. So people were like, what are you going to do? I said, we have seven weeks to figure that out. This train is leaving. Yeah. And wow. if, if anybody's going to stop us, then they're going to be the co-leader. <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but you this train your is, mouth. you're getting on a plane. You're getting on a plane. <laughs> and uh, so this, this train is leaving the station was basically what was happening. And so 
uh, it's resiliency. It's not, you know, look what we do for a living, right? You power through, you figure it out, right. you know, you're creative and yeah, we'll talk a lot about like, we haven't even, we haven't even dipped our real wheel in the window in the water yet. Right. I mean, and then we've faced all this. Now there's all the crazy stuff that's going to happen along the way. Um, but I, I will tell you this, you ask about mindset too. The morning that we left, I distinctly remember it because um, one of my co-leaders picked me up. That's what we're going to the airport. We went out early before the boys. We wanted to get out there and kind of get settled in and then have the boys meet us. And Lynn and I were sitting on the front porch. It's pitch black. And not to be too melodramatic, but you're going out and you just don't know. And I, I, I had made them the decision that I would ride in the back on all of this and yep. be sitting a little further out so that if they were going to, if a car was going to hit us, they were going to hit me first. Yeah. That was just the decision. And so you're like, you hope, you know, I'm just sitting there and Lynn and I are like, I'm not going to see her for 10 weeks. And we're talking about it. And then we looked and there was an owl sitting on our, uh, on the top of our garage roof line, right? Just sitting there looking at us. We both looked at it and this owl was just sitting there staring at us. And we looked at each other and we said, it's going to be okay. The wise owl was out the there. Looking owl. At it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then off we went. I love that. Did you see any other owls while you were out there? Did the owl come back to you? Uh, we hey, that's a good hook. I hadn't thought about that. We were in uh, we were in Wise, Virginia. Like we were almost home, and an owl was hooting in the woods. And I remember hearing that and thinking, "Wow, it's the owl is back." I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, that's really cool. I love yeah. that. We saw a lot of wild animals, so <laughs> including well, course, grizzly yeah. bear, including buffalo. <laughs> You got me chomping at the bit here to get into this resiliency and the people piece, but I think there sounds like there's some more elements we need to hear before we dive into that. So let's, let's get on the trip. Tell us some of these, uh, some of the stories and the unexpected challenges that happened along the way. The best, uh, I'm going to give, I, I'm going to give you an anecdote of, of like some advice I got and then how it yeah. played out. So yeah. um, I was buying some last minute gear at an outdoor shop and I was checking through, this is like right before we leave. And uh, they said, Hey, what's, what's going on? I said, I was, you know, going out on this trip and um, the guy in front of me said, Hey, I've, I've ridden cross country. I've done that. I said, really? I said, what advice would you give me? And he looked at me and he said, focus a lot on the day of a little bit of the next day and nothing else. Nice. He said, because you will lose your mind if you, if you think too far down the line. Yeah. A lot about today, a little bit about tomorrow, and nothing else. And I've told so many people that 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 was the key mindset, and it really applies to life if you think about it. We worry Absolutely. too much about things down the line, and so Absolutely. and so we would get thrown curveballs daily. It got to the point where I didn't even worry, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, we're getting up, something's going to happen. It could be a crash. It could be uh, a, a huge gap in the road where you can't, you can't proceed. You got to figure that out. Um, it could be, or it could be an opportunity, right? Where somebody offers you something and you're like, Hey, we're going to hang out here for an extra day. You don't fall in love with the schedule too much. You use it as a, as a guide and you, and you motor on through. So 
crashes. So <laughs> remember, they're high schoolers, right? Yeah. They're teenage boys. So one of the key, the other mindset is I would tell the leaders when they would rotate in, you have to channel your inner 16 year old. Yeah. You got to get into that mindset. That guy's there, get to know him. You're going to get to know him again for the next two weeks. Yeah. And, and they, nat, you know, teenagers, they naturally live in the moment. They don't really worry about too much. So you have to kind of adopt that. But there's some downside with that too. Cause so they would ride to, in the beginning, they would ride too close. They'd clip a wheel, they'd crash, they'd do stupid stuff. Um, the classic one was we were maybe, six days into the trip and we were right at the um idaho border so we're in hell's canyon snake river flat road where it's a morning ride we set camp you know broken camp we're heading out and one of the scouts he decides he wonders what will happen if you cross your hands on a on your handlebars of course yes right because why not yeah you know what don't do that because you crash <laughs> and and so we're the co-leader and I were in the back talking. I mean, it's like riding across a parking lot flat. Womp. He goes down. My son hits him, st just strips the pannier right off his bike, the you know, the mm. saddlebag. Yeah. And the you know, kid's got a sprained wrist. You know, we've got broken gear. We're sitting there scratching our heads, and you know, out comes the duct tape, you know out comes the zip ties and they engineer a solution to uh, be able to keep riding on, you know, and off, wow. off we go. So, you know, that was, you know, crashes would happen. Uh, you come to a road and there, there's road construction and there's a gap and you, you know, if you turn around, it's going to add like two days. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, right. So, so you got to figure out how to get across. Right. So, right. you know, so we would disassemble gear, put guys in ditches, hand bikes across, you know, yeah. just do whatever we needed to do to, to continue on. So it's that, you know, it's just being resilient and doing that. That's the theme, the resiliency. Yeah. 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 So I, I want to hear about the, the, the boys and like what, what's going on with them. And, and really, I mean, you know, even going back to like the planning process and then, and then getting going, like. What, what were they experiencing as you had kind of like these ups and downs of whether or not the trip's going to happen? And then, you know, even just getting into like what you witnessed in terms of their experience of this trip. Yes. Great question. Um, they entered as boys and they exited as men. Mm. Um, they were so squirrely in the beginning. Um, we had high standards. I, you know, so we would start every morning with the safety briefing and plan of the day. Um, and we'd roll through, but it was, it was very, very stressful. The first two weeks they were riding too close. We just had to get that discipline in. Yep. Um, and then breaking camp, setting camp, um, was taking too long. Um, and there was just, and then, and then they hadn't come together as a team yet. There were kind of two camps initially. Yep. They called them the ballers and the Nepalers. So there were the guys that were into basketball. And then there were the guys that had been to Nepal on the trip before or nice. a couple of years prior. Okay. And so, and so we had to work around that. Oh yeah. We carried a basketball with us. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, one of the guys, he was like, so into hoop and, 
when he started the ball would slip out and it would bounce down the road oh you know, my gosh and, and that's like you hit it you crash so right? we were like well we were like you have to deflate the ball and then when we get somewhere you know you can play so they'd be like they'd stop at lunch you know and pump up and and if there was a hoop around and they'd play basketball and then go ride like 70 that, miles that's hysterical i'm just thinking logistically how you carry that thing but i guess deflating it makes sense yeah yeah we we they carried so much crazy stuff we had a cactus go across with us they all had like their <laughs> their little uh things uh sam had a snake uh, like a plastic snake on his bike we carried a black widow spider along the way um that a kid had found and you know put it in a pringles thing i mean they're kids right so they're going to do all this crazy stuff that's the first the black widow spider okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny um but again so you just you know you just had to you know to be in that kind of in the moment um mindset and just take it as it comes yeah well you know i think any trip like this is going to be life-changing but you said that they entered as boys and they exited as men and i'm just curious if we could sort of go a little bit deeper on that i'd, I'd love to hear like you know what was that transformation like and especially from your perspective and how you witnessed it so they as i said they were kind of you know they were they're acting like typical kind of teenage kids yeah. um and then we we had kind of a cathartic meeting um with with one of the uh, co-leaders who's a old 82nd airborne um, special forces guy right and so mm -hmm. he kind of had a pretty serious talk to him about like you know what they needed to be doing that hit home and we everybody kind of was able to air it and then they just you know they became very efficient they started working together you know we did things to like mix them up so they weren't clicky there weren't two camps yeah and and that that landed real well and then they just started you know executing the plan and so then we also assigned uh, a leader of the week so one guy would have leadership for the entire week cool yeah. and and run the crew and do that and then we would kind of advise what we were doing and and kind of evaluate as we went um and at the end, it's it's interesting because we filled that gap. Some of the some of the leaders came in on the back end to support to give us the two deep coverage that we needed, and they couldn't believe the transformation. The ones that had seen them in the beginning and what they saw at the end. I mean, they they could get up at four in the morning, and break camp in twenty minutes silently and be ready to go and report in. Um, where in the beginning, it would take a lot of time to get out. And these were experienced scouts, but you do something repetitively and you see the importance of it. How much of that is like, a, is like muscle memory, just kind of routine, like learning routine? It's mindset and muscle memory. You have to have the mindset. Yeah. And you have to understand like, I don't want to get up at 4 a.m. either, but if we're looking at the profile of the day and it's going to be 100 degrees out, we've got to get an early start or we're yeah. going to, or we're going to have issues. Right. So we would brief them and say, Hey, here's the weather forecast. Um, it's going to be a 60 mile day. Um, all, any miles we can get in before 10 AM are free. So we got to go get up and out and log as much as we can. Um, yeah. And I, I gotta believe that, that they all learned like a new level of responsibility. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm sort of hearing and what you're saying. Yeah. Responsibility and leadership, um, and resiliency, and they realize, I mean, they realize like you can do anything. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of wild, you know, when you're out there and you see like the little dot for your, on your map, yeah. like, you know, yeah, yeah. 
like it's slowly that. moving across the US and it's sitting it's it's sitting there. I know I had a I had a moment in Wyoming. We were in a section of Wyoming and we'd started really early and we're riding along in the road, took a right-hand bend and then dropped, you know, kind of swept down. And the the sun was coming up and hitting the red rocks as we made a left-hand bank in this descent and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I am riding across the US." Yeah. Um, and it, I know they all had moments like that where it really kind of hit them what they were doing. Um, the, the other thing is this route is very remote. So, you know, you're a big town is 5,000 people. That's huge. Right. Um, you're, you're staying in little tiny places. Um, so it's pretty cool, but yeah, they, they, they really matured. They really matured. They stepped up. And I know that that has, um, carried them all. Uh, to this day, because again, this trip was in 2015. They've all they've all graduated college. They all are either working on advanced degrees or are working. They all um, ripped through the COVID thing no problem because they they had a real sense of resiliency uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you do something like so epic at such a young age, it's I mean, it's really setting you up for for a life of this kind of experience right and to be able to keep to keep doing more and more i want to touch on you were talking about those moments where you're just like first of all just like oh my gosh i'm riding a bike across country is like kind of equate that to the word awe that i love to talk about on this podcast um love the definition of the word awe and i bring it up on the podcast quite a bit uh the one that i love is a reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder and my hmm. sense is, is that in those moments when you're hmm. kind of having that feeling, you, you're experiencing that awe. Um, and, and, I, and I could also equate that to, um, to flow, the concept of flow where you're just sort of in the zone mm -hmm. and you're just, mm -hmm. but what, I think what's interesting in your case is there, there is also um, group flow where the entire group is sort of in that flow state together. And I'm just curious if on this trip you, you can recall any sort of moments when the whole group was sort of in a flow together. There are a couple that really stick it in mind. There are so many. Um, and we, you know, I mentioned about people too. Some of it was with the people that we interacted yeah. really brought that out. I'll, I'll, I'll tell a, a couple stories around that, but I, I distinctly remember we were, we were pulling into, um, it was Baker. So we were in Oregon and it, it was a long day. We had three peaks we had to go over mm -hmm. and we were riding in it it was just a long day and literally we were i was falling asleep on the bike <laughs> i didn't think that was possible but i you know i was i was like oh my gosh i am falling asleep i am so tired <laughs> right. and we're we're pulling in and we get into town and we can't find a place to stay you know and we've been told we could go to the ymca and we go there and they're like, no, we don't let people camp here anymore. And, you know, like you can, and then we went to a couple bike shops and there, no, yeah, we had hit a couple bike shops. That's where we found out about the YMCA, mm -hmm. um, go to the YMCA. And this is early in the trip. Um, they, they say no. And we're sitting there on the curb, just exhausted. And this woman pulls up in the van and she's like, what's going on? And explain the situation. And, uh, she drives off and then like three minutes later comes back and she said, Hey, I just called my church. 
uh, you guys can stay there. It, it gave us the directions and she's, and we're taking you out to dinner. Amazing. And so we got all camped out. We got showers. They piled us into a van and they bought us, you know, every, we bought, each got a pizza. We were so dang hungry <laughs> and you know, they fed us and they housed us and we were just like, Oh my gosh. You know, it, wow. You know, this is just uh, from a spiritual side on awe. Um, a, there are two that really jump out. Um, we were in Missoula and we, we did a lot of TV interviews and media yeah. interviews along the way. Cool. Yeah. And so there was a TV, uh, interview set up at adventure cycling's headquarters, which is in Missoula, Montana. And so we'd done some kind of media prep and we were, we were standing out before we go in, who was assigned for this to be for the boys who give the interviews and what they were going to do. And off in the distance, I see this Native American gentleman walking toward me, shirtless, sweating at 10 o'clock in the morning, kind of stumbling up. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's going to happen here? You know, and he pulls up and he's like, hey, what's going on? And one of the boys, you know, immediately is like, hey, we're seven scouts, 10, you know, 10 weeks riding across the U.S. for a charity. And, and he says, let's pray. And he holds out his hands and he gets us all in a circle. And at, at first I'm like, I'm like, okay, is he going to try and roll us? You know, what's going to happen here. Right. And then he gives this most heartfelt prayer mm. for what we're doing and praying for our safety. And then he slips into native American tongue and starts uh, a chant around that. And then finishes up and he had transformed. He went from being, you know, a morning in a morning stupor yeah. and then transformed and then finished. And then he said, okay, now I got to go get a drink. And he walked off. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wow. did that just happen? <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So. You know, um, another thing we talk about a lot on this podcast is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And, and one of the, the, one of the things that happens in the hero's journey is um, when you're out there, once you've crossed over the threshold and you're out there on your journey, um, it's very common that a supernatural aid appears to help you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like both of these stories, the woman that stopped and invited you guys to stay at the church and this Native American man that stops to pray with you guys, like, it just seems like, you know, this is happening exactly the way that, that Joseph Campbell said, said that it happens. I mean, one thing I think is so interesting is you said that this has to be self-sustaining. And what I heard when you say that was no safety net, right? Right. right. But, but, but the safety net shows up anyway. <laughs> Right. And, and that's, that's what we all realized is that if, and this, this is why you go self-supported, if you don't go self-supported and, and Hey, hats off to people that, that go yep. supported. I'm not, I'm not dissing that because it's, it's difficult, but yep. what you give up is the opportunity to be vulnerable and to have people help you. And you are always going to have someone help you and stuff like this would happen every single day. Yes. every single day you would be and i would have to brief the leaders coming in and saying hey look stuff's going to happen here that you're going to get uncomfortable with you're going to be somebody is going to pull up to you that seems like they maybe have five dollars to their name and they're going to give you four dollars and 30 cents of it you have to accept that because they're 
participating. They want to participate in the journey. You're going to be at dinner and it's going to be paid for by somebody. And you don't even know who did it. Yeah. You're going to be in a park sleeping and somebody's going to pull up and provide you dinner. You're going to be staying in somebody's yard. That happens every day. And if you go supported, you're denying yourself that opportunity. So what I love about this is that we're calling it self-supported, but really it's it's a trusting, right? It's you a have trusting trust. that you're going to be supported. It's it's yeah. You have to, you are opening yourself up to the power of vulnerability. Yeah. That is what it is. And the and and random kindness. The kindness of yeah. strangers, that's what we would call it. And it would happen every day, every day. That, that is so cool. And it is such a great, I mean, all of this is, it's just a metaphor for, for life. And I'm sure that when, when the boys got back, like these are lessons that, that they've carried with them outside of this trip. Um, so we talked about resiliency. We've talked about self-supported. Um, the other two things that were really important to you guys on this trip was people and charity so i wonder if we could kind of hit those two things so people again that gets to the vulnerability piece this um you know part of this because there have been other trips i th i think whenever you're in in a outdoor situation or maybe in any organization i think the uh the effort takes on maybe the personality of the leader a little bit and and definitely for me it was like the people are the answer that was kind of what i the way i went into it some yeah. folks, it might be technology is the answer. Or there's different types of answers. To me, it was people are the answer. So we would seek that out. Um, so I would I would joke with the boys. I'd say, look, you get me into town three o'clock, I'll get us inside. We're going to go meet some people. We're going to, you know, might come in the convenience store. We're going to share. You're all on message on what we're doing. Um, it'll just happen. And so if, you, if we can get in a reasonable time and, just open to the flow and people will be the answer. I'm curious on that, Ed, if um, like pe the people are the answer piece, did, did that evolve over time? Cause sometimes like I could imagine, like you might be afraid to ask for help in the early stages of the trip, but like it becomes again, more practiced. It becomes muscle memory. I'm just curious if, if that got, if the asking for help got easier over time. It did. It's muscle memory and it's, and you see that you're not, um, you just see what you can do in a very genuine, and that's where the charity piece would help too. It's like, Hey, we're out here doing this for others. We're raising money. Um, we need a place to stay. Do you know where we go? Or even just tell the story and then it would open up yeah. uh, because we were, it was coming from, they were grateful for what we were doing and the risks that we were taking. They were kind of, it was, they would be blown away by it. But I know we were, we were like third or fourth day in the trip and we, we didn't know where to stay. And I said, Hey, there's a church there. Let's go knock on that door. And they put us up and they played basketball with us and they fed us and we told our story and, and we're, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is a solution to a problem. If we, if we get in, if it's, if it's not a Sunday, um, we can probably, you know, they can either they'll put us up or they'll, they'll point us to somebody who can. The, the other thing to remember here is like, there's no preset schedule. We don't have lodging set up along the way. So, and you've got all your tents and all your gear and everything. So you can camp in the wilderness if you need to. We slept in front of a gas station and 
um, Muddy Gap, Wyoming, you know, in the middle of nowhere, you know, in the, in the lee of a gas station sign, that's where we were, but, you know, you know, d- doing our laundry in the sink. Um, but you know, you just, you just roll. It's so amazing. Like the vulnerability, the trusting and the, the willingness to ask for help. It's such a great lesson. So, um, can you tell us about the charity that, that this thing was all, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as I said, in the very beginning, we said we have to have a charity and we kick some ideas around and there was a local, so there was a, a young woman, um, high school student, um, who contracted cancer and it was about the age, a little, just about a year ahead of the boys at the time. And they'd gone to school with her and unfortunately she didn't survive. So she passed away and her family, um, established a foundation in her honor because um, Sophie realized um, when she was in the hospital that there are a lot of services for older people with cancer and there are are services for children, young children. But Mm -hmm. when you get to that kind of young adult stage, there, there's a gap. So Literally, it could be, well, you can go knit with the 55-year-old or you can play with the Legos with the seven-year-old, but yeah. you know, it hits them in this time in their life where their identities are changing. So they established the Be Loud Sophie Foundation for this effort to create that at UNC hospitals. Okay. And so we're like, hey, this makes a lot of sense. It's for cancer. Uh, you have a connection to it. They bought into it. So we, we named the, the charity is Be Loud Sophie. Okay. And so we, um, so Be Loud. And so we, we named the ride Bike Loud. Awesome. And so we would tell this story um, and what we were doing and the donations just flooded in. So we raised $40,000 on this trip. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. And this and Bike Loud has continued on, right? Yes, it's continued on with the troop. I think they've done four, five, a total of four or five trips. Um, you know, and they've raised over the troop has raised over a hundred thousand dollars for this uh, foundation. That's really impressive. So, if, if people want to know more about Bike Loud, what's the best way for them to find out about that? Best way is to, um, well, if you want to know about Bike Loud, it'd be bikeloud.org and you can read all the blogs on the trips and the backstories and see what we've done. And then you can go just Google Be Loud Sophie Foundation if you want to go straight to that foundation. But there are links at Bike Loud to Be Loud Sophie for donations as well. Yeah. And there's so much in this and there's so much more that we could talk about. I feel like we could keep going for for hours. I, I want to, before we wrap up, like I really want to just kind of, dive into you really quick um, and talk about how this trip changed you and even kind of going back all the way into like your childhood, because you told me that, that, you know, as an adult, you sort of rekindled your love for cycling. So I'm just kind of curious, like from a whole, like a, from a lifelong journey, how this, this trip itself has played into your own personal sort of transformation. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll spend a couple minutes on that. Um, It had a major effect on me. Uh, you know, and there's a saying, if you want to know a lot about this country and about yourself, ride across it because it's, it's very true. You'll learn so much and you'll learn a lot about yourself. And, um, I, I'll I'll tell you just point blank. I struggled when I got back and that's pretty common 
Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming. I really planned uh, for everything through the trip. I didn't plan for that. It was difficult. Um, every moment counts um, so heavily when you're out there and there's so much life in it and power in it. And then you come back um, and, you, and you have to reintegrate back into kind of regular regular society. And um, that's difficult. Um, and it's funny, I'm, I, I came home, I was a week into it and I, I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I, I stopped to get gas today and I had to run in to get something. I, I, I don't talk to people in convenience stores anymore. I mean, we lived in those and we, inter- and we just would strike up conversations with people and, and we connected. And, and so that was, that was difficult. Um, why, why do you think that is? I completely relate. But why do you think that is? We're too busy and we're, and we don't want to be vulnerable. The, the other thing, the other takeaway on this is, is that when you ride across the U S so your day is about an hour in a car. Yeah. One day is an mm-hmm. hour in a car. So, yeah. so the fabric of what you experience is very deep and slow. I mean, you, you saw how, easily it was for me to recall that route. When yeah. I got back, I could tell you every turn because yeah. you're like, you know, the climbs and all that. And so um, life really slows down and time really didn't matter that much. You, you mm-hmm. live by the compass, not by the clock. And so we knew where we were headed. We had, you know, we had a route. We never, we didn't fall in love with the schedule. Um, and we, connected with people along the way. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, we're in the same business and we're both in, for those that, you know, are familiar with Buffini coaching, it was, it was this that led me to Buffini coaching because it really, I realized that I do have value in what I do and I connect deeply with my clients and I wanted a model that would support that. Mm. Um, so that I'm there for their life events. And so it really put me on that path. Yeah, I love that. I mean, what I kind of heard you say in there is in in so-called real life, the lesson is slow down a little bit. Slow down and connect with people. Yeah. Um, And you'd be shocked, like, you know, because we could tell this is, okay, so this was 2015, right? So the country was changing and it was the summer of 2015. And we could tell there was a lot of pain out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, that was kind of the peak of the, uh, the, uh, prescription drug crisis and meth. Yeah. And you could see it in these rural communities. There was a lot of pain and, but, but everybody came out and helped us and connected with us. And on the surface, we were very different and, you know, but it didn't matter, you know, and, um, I'll, 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 I'll close this with one final story that I, I, I just, it meant a lot to me. We were in Guffey, Colorado, town of 52. And um, we were, in, they've, they've elected their cat, the mayor, right? I mean, there's like, it's just like, a, <laughs> it, I don't make that up. It's a ghost town. It was a, okay. it's a weird, quirky place. And we rolled in, we, we had a kid that was dealing with some altitude sickness. He was he was struggling that day. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a scheduled stop and pulled into the little saloon. And, um, 
I'm sitting at the bar. Now, again, no drinking on the trip, right? So I'm like having my Dr. Pepper and I'm dressed in my cycling kit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he says, hey, what are you guys doing? And uh, I, I explained it. And this guy was tough looking. I mean, he was strat. Yeah. And I explained what we were doing and the charity we were writing for and, the, and, and, the, and Sophie's story. And I look at him and he's crying. And he said, he goes, you know, I served in the military. He says, I've beaten many a man and lost to a few. But when you tell me a story like that, that breaks my heart. And he jams like $40 into my bike helmet. And I go to write his name down. I said, okay, I want to, you know, thank you so much. He says, no, 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 this isn't about me. It's about you and what you're doing. I don't want any recognition. He says, and the town of Guffey is buying you dinner tonight. Wow. And, you know, so you experience that. And in a situation where you could be like a lot of differences. Yeah. What's that tell you? That's amazing, Ed. What a, what a life-changing experience. I mean, I think about the impact that you had. I mean, obviously it impacted you personally, but you got to impact the lives of these boys. Every person yeah. you came in contact with on that trip. And now you're back and you get to inspire all these people that get to hear your story. And I mean, frankly, like I want to go do a trip like that. That sounds amazing. And, uh, you know, with all of that, Ed, at some point, Hollywood's going to pick up on this story. And when they do, they're going to make a movie about this trip, you know, uh, Troop 845. And I want to know when they make this movie, who's going to be the actor that's going to play you? (laughs) It's funny. I asked my son this and and you'd laugh. There's a lot of conversation on the bike trip. So yeah. like this has already been played out. Awesome. <laughs> like, all the boys and everything. <laughs> we already have a whole cast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, the consensus was uh, Ty Burrell from Modern Family. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Good. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Love it. That's amazing. Love him. He's so good. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's ambitious. He's a go-getter. He's a realtor. He's a little goofy. <laughs> I, a I little love goofy. that. A lot of fun that's along awesome. the way. Okay, exactly. what's your movie going to be called, Ed? I would it be Bike Loud. Without Bike Loud. Bike loud. You know, it. you got to live large, be, be loud, bike loud, live it every day, without a doubt. Ed, this has been incredible. Uh, you know, you're an adventurer, you're a realtor. If people want to get a hold of you to find out more about Bike Loud or your adventures or buy some real estate in the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, best way is you can visit my website at edbillings.com. That's great to learn a little bit more about me and the services I provide for clients and my approach to it. But you probably get a pretty good sense of the guy I am based on this. And then um, just reach out to uh, ed at terranovaglobal.com. Uh, you can reach me there. Um, so ed at terranovaglobal.com. Awesome, Ed. Thank you so much. This, this has been such a fun conversation. I am so inspired by this story. And, uh, you know, for those listening, I hope you've also been inspired as much as I have. hope that Ed's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Ed, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you for letting me go down memory lane on this one. It's great. <laughs>